in the Bible, the book of Ephesians chapter 5 today. And would you turn in your Bible, you have some sermon note space on your program. And today, I think you might want to use it. The subject is how to know God's will. I'm going to depart from the book of Mark, where we've been going through the Bible, the, the, the gospel of Mark. And today, I want to bring you a very simple little practical message on how you individually and personally can find and know and do God's will and plan in your life. And it's the kind of message it'll be easy for you to take notes on. And I hope you'll write it down because you're going to forget most of it if you don't. But if you'll make some notations, you will have a little simple Bible commentary, a directive that will help you in the future. And someday, I promise you, if you live long enough, you're going to need it and you'll want to use it if you want to please the Lord in your life. In the book of Ephesians, normally we stand, we're running late. I'll read it this morning quickly, beginning in verse 15 of the letter to Ephesus. See then that you walk circumspectly. That's a big word, isn't it? Circumspectly means very, very, very cautiously, very carefully. Somebody said the word circumspectly, you can picture it. It's a cat walking on top of a fence with two big Doberman pinchers on each side. That's walking circumspectly. (laughs) I promise you it is. See that you walk very, very carefully, not as fools, but as wise people, redeeming the time, buying back every second of life because the days are evil. And wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I especially call your attention to verse 17. Understanding what the will, <clears throat> what the will of the Lord is. The middle of, the, of May is a very important time, I think, to preach a message like this because it's a time of transitions. And it's a time to consider God's guidance in our life, even on a Mother's Day. And uh, I spoke over to the Florence Christian School young people, the senior high, in their chapel this week. And I got to thinking about the will of the Lord. I wrote down some thoughts. I preached half of it. So you're getting the other half of my message in uh, FCS chapel this morning, okay? But I remember graduation, though it happened back in prehistoric times and my graduation, but I remember graduation because my dad bought me a gift that I never shall forget. I opened up a little package the day I was going to graduate from Edmonds High School then in Sumter. That would have been 1961. And I opened the little box, and Mom and Dad gave it to me, I think, at breakfast that morning. And there was a beautiful watch inside. I don't think I'd ever owned a nice watch before. If I'd owned one, it was sort of a half watch and a half toy, but this was a real watch. And as I opened the box, there was a little note there, and my dad had written to me this note. He said, Bill, I want this to be the time of your life. You know, time, watch. 
I want this to be the time of your life. I hope you will really enjoy it and make some real memories, but I don't want you to forget and all the celebration and the hilarity and the good times, don't get carried away and forget that God has a plan for your life. And son, he has his hand on you. And he didn't know I was going to be a preacher. He meant that God has his hand on all of his people, on all of his children. And so that day, he emphasized that to me. And you know what? Don't think things like that are not meaningful. I've never forgotten it. I've lost that watch. I, know, I don't know what happened to that watch many years ago. But I remember that note. I wish I had kept it. I didn't. But today, at this point in my life, it means more to me today than it did the day that I took that watch out of that box. Because, you see, graduation time is a dangerous time as well as a joyful time. And there are some dangerous and important times in life for finding and knowing the will of God. And we don't think about that very often, I'm afraid. We have the idea, oh, man, just blow your cork and celebrate. This is wonderful. No. Let me add a little note of caution to the enjoyment. There are dangerous and important times in the Christian's journey, and we must never forget them. And what I'm saying is just as relevant for the people who stood up and were 80-plus years as for those of us who are coming along in all the other points of life. This is a transition month, graduation for high schoolers. Yesterday, I went out to the home of a young lady who earned her master's degree at transition point. There will be marriages following in May and in June, transition point in life. It will be summer and vacation time, and some of us can't wait to go. But you know what? Vacation can be a dangerous time regarding the will of God if we don't think correctly about it. Summer's the time when more people move on their jobs and they relocate. Relocation can be a dangerous time for finding and knowing the will of God. Sickness can be a long time. I'm so glad to see Randy and Doris here. I visited Randy just the other day, and we chanced to meet, and I talked to him. And he's been confined and very, very ill, and I don't think he will mind me sharing this with you. But he's been out of church for a long, long time. And you know what? Even though his reason for not being here is very, very legitimate, when you're not around the fire, it's easy to cool off. And even a time of sickness and convalescence and recovery can be a dangerous and an important time for finding and staying in the will of God. Death certainly is. I don't mean the person who died, but I mean those who grieve. And I've watched people so get involved and get the wrong focus in their life when they lost a loved one that they drifted from God's will for their life. I'm telling you, any transition point in life is a very important time for staying in the will of God and finishing the course. And I, that's why I preach that at this time. There are many scores and scores of promises of, God, of God's guidance in Scripture. I'm, I don't have time for you to turn in your Bible to read these, but write these references down perhaps because each of these verses promises God's guidance in the life of a believer. And as I said, someday in life you're going to need these, so take them down and underscore them in your Bible. Psalm 32 and 8. 
32.8, God says, I will guide you with my eye. Psalm 37 and 23, the steps, the steps, little tiny inconsequential actions and decisions in life, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, familiar to us, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding regarding God's will in your life, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Isaiah 58 and 11, 58, 11, the Lord will guide you, a promise. Jeremiah 10 and 23, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. And then the wonderful promise of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 16 and verse 23, he's talking about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, pardon me, John 16, 13. And speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus said, he will guide you into all truth. A wonderful promise. The Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in every Christian, he will guide you into all truth. When I spoke in chapel to the young people the other day, I ended up, as I said, only delivering half of the message because I took six passages in the New Testament where it says, this is the will of God in very, very clear terms. Not uh, words. This is the will of God for you. And I spoke to the young people about those six areas. I'd be glad to share those with you if you ever want to know what those are. But it's incontrovertible. There is no doubt. It's crystal clear that the will of God is, has already been determined in several areas, six important areas. And God says, this is my will for every single one of you. Let there be no doubt. Now, technically, if I were talking with a theologian, I'd be a little more careful in how I'm going to use my words because some theologians believe that the will of God is the same for everybody, and the plan of God is the individual plans that God has for our lives. The will of God, same for every one of us, clearly stated in the Scripture and others. And then we have God's plan for our lives, which is individual and personal and distinct. I'm not going to make, I'm not going to parse the words like that, though, this morning, because basically I'm going to say to you, I'll use the term the will of God and the plan of God, and as far as I'm concerned, they're synonymous in this message. Seven ways now, if you want to write them down as I go, and I'll make real clear that you get each one of them because I really, I am burdened this morning that you get this message in your heart. Since I spoke to the, the kids the other day, I've thought about it, and I just couldn't get, I, I just couldn't get it in my soul to preach the message I'd thought about preaching from Mark, and I will later, but today I want us to talk about how to know God's will in your life. Number one. You will find God's plan in your life in Scripture. Number one, God's plan, God's will for your life is revealed primarily, first and most importantly of all, in the Holy Scripture. You see, the Bible is a book of principles. And you don't read the Bible to learn, 
just the stories. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, but what are the principles? The Bible is a book of principles containing principles on how to live. We call them life principles. And I promise you on almost every page of Scripture, you can find a principle, an illustration, an application. You can find a story. You can find something there that is a life principle that God has given to His children to guide and direct them in their, in their daily life. And that's why we study it. That's why every time you come here, I stand up here and I say, open your Bible. And we turn in the Scriptures, and we look and we analyze the words of God. We believe this book was written to train and to teach and to mold and to guide and to, re- to direct our steps. And so today, again, I ask you to take your Bible, study your Bible, analyze your Bible, find the principles, and then begin to live your life according to them, and you will find God's will Above any other place, you will find it in the Holy Scriptures. Every Christian can testify to that. Whether it be marriage, this is the greatest marriage book that's ever been written. This is the greatest book on parenting that's ever been written. I sometimes just pull my hair anymore when I see what is happening with our children because we've listened to everybody in the whole world except the maker of the heaven and the earth. This is God's book on parenting wisdom for you. This is a great book on finances, as the Dave Ramsey course has proven, that page after page could be written in scriptures that tells you how to handle your money and God's financial guide. This is a book on business. This is a book on relationships. This is a book even on principles of health as some of these physicians sitting here would be glad to share with you today. This is God's book full of life principles. Ignore it at your peril, and you will find God's hand and God's blessing upon your life if you will live your life back. It's our moral compass, our moral compass. What is right and what is wrong? The only determinator of that in all of the universe is the Scriptures themselves. And that makes us as true, serious Christians, Bible-believing Christians, it makes us odd, perhaps, to the culture around us, that we're outside the mainstream because our secularist culture has departed from the principles of this book. They do not believe what I'm preaching today. Perhaps you do, perhaps you don't. It's up to you. But I believe with all my heart This is the only basis that we have for moral guidance. Why is it wrong to kill somebody if you take away the Bible? If there is no God, why is it more wrong to kill a man than it is an ant? I didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be pro-life. That wasn't a decision I made. I made a decision that I received Christ as my Savior and I believed His Word. And I read his word, and it began by saying that God himself is the author of life. And so I became a pro-lifer, if you want to use that kind of uh, pejorative terminology, but that's what I are. And I am a pro-lifer not because of a political persuasion, 
but because I read and believe the Holy Scriptures, and they tell me that life is sacred. I believe what I believe about marriage, one man, one woman, for life. And I believe that because I believe the Bible. It's not a political viewpoint I have. It's a viewpoint based upon God's guidance in my life. Pick the subject. And so if it makes us controversial, it's only because the current of our culture is going in a way that is opposite to the Word of God today. You will find God's plan for you in the Scripture. The issue really isn't abortion. The issue really isn't immigration, for example. Those are political issues, but the issue is the Word of God. What does it say about those life issues? The issue is not about my children. It's what does the Bible say about rearing children? And I can just go on and on and on. I will tell you this. God's will and God's Word are never contradictory God's will and God's word are always consistent. Number two, I've got to pick it up, don't I? God's will can be found through prayer. God's will, number two, can be found through prayer. First, through Scripture. Secondly, through prayer. And so we pray for wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it to you liberally. He will be generous in giving you wisdom if you will follow his scripture there. And I watched the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When he had big decisions to make, he went out onto a mountain. He got very, very quiet in his spirit. He got away from people and distractions. He practiced Psalm 46 that says, Be still and know that I'm God. And he got off to himself in the mountains alone at night. And he cried out to his heavenly father. He humbled himself. He bowed. He prayed. And then he listened. And he was patient. And as God's son and a perfect man, he prayed to God for guidance and God gave it to him. God may change the circumstances when you pray. But there's a better chance he'll change you when you pray. And if you pray before him with the right spirit and the right motive, God will work in your heart, and he will bring you to where you even desire to do his will. Number three, God's will and plan for your life can be found through yieldedness. Yieldedness. That's not a word we use often, is it? Romans 6 and 16 And I turned there in my Bible. Why don't you turn with me real quick, because that one is worth you seeing. And, well, all of them are. I shouldn't have said that like that. Romans 6 and 16. Turn your Bible there. It says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, Whoever you yield to is your master. You are the servant to whomever you yield to. That word yield is familiar. So I'm driving down the interstate, and I get off, and I go up the exit ramp, and there's a street there, and it says yield. And what does it mean? It means the same thing in traffic as it means in the spiritual life. 
to give way to another one who is coming through. In this case, we are to yield to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life. And so I'm going down the highway of life. I go over here. I have to get off because I have to make a decision. It's transition time. Where do I go to college? Who do I marry? What job do I follow? What do I do in this situation with my children or this relational situation I'm dealing with? And I go, I look into the Word, I begin to pray, and number three, I yield, submit myself, give way to the Lord's guidance as it is revealed to me through the Scripture. In the Amplified Bible, it says, do you not know that if you continually surrender yourself to someone that you're, to anyone to do his will, you are the slave of that person that you obey? And the truth be told, Most of us don't think like that. We say, I've accepted Christ, but we don't look to him for daily guidance. We could, and we should. And everybody serves a master. Don't kid yourself. Now, most of us, our master is self. Big old S-E-L-F sits on the throne of life and makes the decisions to accommodate what we want in our life. But in the Scripture, it says, whoever you yield to will be your master, and you'll have to serve that master. And then it says, now, God wants you to yield to him and to his will in your life. Now, there's another great verse, and I've already shared it. You're familiar with it. It's in Psalm 37. I think it's verse 3. It says that if we look to the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. It doesn't mean that you go look at a beautiful home over here somewhere and say, ah, the Lord's going to give me that. That's the desire of my heart. No, it's not what it means. It means that if we yield to the Lord, he will put within us the desires that will please him. He'll give us the proper desires, the desires that are consistent with his will. And so today, I look to the Lord and I yield to him And he gives me his desires in my heart. Now, listen to me. Get this. I don't want you to miss this point. If you are not yielded to God, what you don't want is probably God's will for you. If you are not yielded to God, God's will is probably what you don't want to do. But if you are truly yielded to the Lord, His desires are a part of your being, and what you want is probably God's will for your life. Number four, the will of God can be found by talking with spiritual people. The will of God can be found by talking to spiritual people. Even in the business and secular world, there's a word, there's a whole, a trendy concept right now, and it is that everybody ought to have a mentor. God helped the guy who thinks that Nobody can share any wisdom with him. And even in the secular world, the idea of finding a person who is older, wiser, or a a group of people. Napoleon Hill, in his book, Think and Grow Rich, he said everybody ought to pick out a council of advisors. And he meant by that you would get people you could go to for godly counsel. Now, turn with me to a very, very powerful verse that I want you to underscore in your Bible. It's in the book of Proverbs. It's chapter number 13. 
You've heard me quote it, but I want you to mark it in your Bible. I don't want anybody here to ever go through life and not understand this verse. Proverbs chapter number 13 and verse number 20. And I think when you find it and read it, you will say, hey, I agree with that. Proverbs 13 and 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools, and the Bible specifically defines what is a fool, will be destroyed. A person who walks with and fraternizes with and companies with wise people will be wise. Now, the Bible defines a wise man and also defines a fool. And so either way, it will reveal to you what those terms mean. But if you company with wise people, if you run with the wise, walk with wise men, you will gain wisdom from them. But if you're a companion of fools, you will be destroyed. Destroyed doesn't have the idea you'll be killed physically. You'll be destroyed in your planning. Your life is not going to work out if you run with the wrong crowd, with foolish people. Psalm 1 says, principle number one in that great, great psalm that I've preached and taught so many times, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the scornful, or fraternizes with the sinner. Be careful of your company and find wise people and godly people. Now, two chapters over in Proverbs 15 and 22, there's another great verse. And it says this, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, those purposes, God's plans, God's will for your life, proper direction in life will be given to you. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. And whatever the issue, don't listen to ungodly, wicked people. Get your counsel from godly people and from the Word of God as you listen to His voice. Number five, the will of God can be found through common sense. Now, you're in Proverbs chapter 16, I hope still, or 15. I want you to continue over to 16 and see another great principle of guidance in Scripture. Sometimes the will of God can be found through common sense. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 9. A man's heart deviseth his way. Okay, let's take that deviseth his way. And look at that phrase. It means a man's heart makes plans. A man's heart determines or makes decisions. But the Lord directeth his steps. A man's heart deviseth his way. In our minds, we make our plans on what we think is best. But the Lord is the one who directs our ways. Somebody said it like this. In life, we set the sail, make our plans, but God makes the wind. We set the sail. I'm going to do thus and so in our life. Oh, be careful. It's God who sends the wind. You can put the sail up, but if there's no wind, you're not going anywhere, my friend. You can make your plans without God. But you know what? You don't know what tomorrow may hold. You don't know what may happen at the next intersection on the highway. 
we think that we're wise and we're pretty cool and we're pretty smart and we can make our way. In reality, we don't have a clue. I could be the richest man in the world if I could tell you what will happen in the next 24 hours. But you know what? Nobody can do that. Nobody will ever do that. We don't know. The wisest man on the earth has no clue what may happen tomorrow. And since we can't, we need help. We need divine help. Don't be so proud, so arrogant, so foolish to think that you've got it all in control. You do not have it in control. If we only knew how little we really do control. You think God's plan for Abraham made sense when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I I, I want you to leave your home and your family and the land here, and I want you to move to a land that you don't even know exists. And Abraham told his daddy, and his daddy said, son, you've you've been eating the mushrooms. And he went to his brother, and his brother said, no, Abraham, you're established. Think of what your future... And everybody told him, no, 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 no. And you know what? He is the father of more people on the earth than anybody had ever lived. He's the father of the faithful, the Bible tells him. Because of him, we have a Savior today because of his faith. There was a young man a few years ago who was a member of this church. Good Christian young man. Young man went to Clemson University. He graduated with honors in mechanical engineering. He came back to Florence, went to work for GE, was on the fast track to the top. Went to their corporate headquarters, met Jack Welch four or five times, ate dinner with him one evening, him and several other people, and was doing well, living beautiful home on the golf course, doing well. And one day walks into my office and says, I'm resigning my job. God has called your daughter and me to be missionaries. Even a preacher father-in-law had trouble with that. Where do you want to be a missionary? He told me the name of the country. I'm on the internet. I'm not going to say it. But it, it ain't around here. It wasn't to Pamplico. Picture going as far as you can go on the planet from here, and that's where he named And do you know what? You know what the the people at his company thought? I kid you not. The boss said, we're going to schedule you an appointment with a psychologist. That really happened. They thought he had lost it. You know who I'm talking about, my son-in-law. Now, I'm telling you today, the world is not going to always think that you're that you're making the right decisions when you follow God. Sometimes they might, but sometimes they might not. So you listen to the Lord, and you forget what man thinks. Number six, right quick, God's will can be found through circumstances. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says, there are, there's an open door, but there are many adversaries. Adversaries. So if you're in the will of God, expect it to be hard. If you're the kind of person that always chooses the easiest path forward, you're not going to always find the will of God. Expect opposition. Opportunities, open doors. Opposition, adversaries. Expect it to be hard 
because Satan will oppose you. Think of Daniel. He was in the will of God, but boy, he had to go through the fiery furnace and all the trials at the lion's den. Think of other biblical characters. Think of Wilberforce, who for 17 years in a row introduced into the English Parliament the bill to get rid of slavery and was ridiculed and, and, and caricatured as, uh, in terrible ways. And yet, God used him to rid England and ultimately to influence America to get rid of the curse of slavery. Open doors. Go through them. God's will can be found through those circumstances. But remember, on the other side of that open door, there's likely opposition. And then seventh, the will of God can be found through faith and following the light that you already have. You know what? Very few real important decisions are easy. We rarely have all the information. Usually, it's we're seeking for clarity. We want, we want the Lord to put a big light in the sky and turn it green. And underneath it, it says, go this way, Bill. But that's not the way God leads us. And often, there's not clarity. Often, there's a tension. Am I really doing the right thing? And we question it. You know, I finally figured out after over 40 years preaching the Word why that's true. God prefers you to trust Him going through the fog than He does to make everything clear that doesn't require any faith. He prefers you to deal with the tension of a lack of clarity and His will. He prefers that over just saying, I want you to do this. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to look back. All the decisions that we face in life that are important ultimately become very, very foggy. We don't have all the information. We say, boy, I'd like to make a decision, and I'd like to just know that this is God's will. Well, rarely is it that clear cut. So we take the Word, and we pray, and we talk to godly people, and we step through the open doors, and what we can't know for sure, we trust the Lord for. Listen to this. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. One more time, because you can't miss it. The will of God, when we don't know all the future, will never take you where God's grace will not keep you. So start today. You say, Pastor, I'm 60 years old. I've missed it. No, you start right today where you are and begin to implement the principles, apply the principles. God's not through with you or you wouldn't be here. You say, but Brother Bill, I have messed up so much. That's all right. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And you know what? God will guide you. He still has mission and purpose and plans for you. Don't wait another day. Every day you wait is a day wasted. And to those of you who are not Christians today, and I hope you would be judgment day honest. I hope you'd be honest in your souls with me. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, 
God is not willing that anybody should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. Christ died for you. Listen to me, though. Whosoever will may come. The Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one soul who comes to repentance than there is over 99 just people who just come to church and sit. No, no doubt in an audience this size, there are many people you're not sure in your soul of souls that you're truly saved. You may be moral or religious or a good church member, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about are you born again? Have you experienced God's transforming change in your life? And if you have not, I always have an altar call. Would you bow your head with me in